Hey there, welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. My name is Daria Gutnick, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Bunch. I'm co-hosting the show with Anthony Rio, who is also my co-founder and our COO. We are on a mission to help anyone become a great leader. And together with our team, we're building an AI leadership coach to achieve exactly that. This podcast is for a new generation of leaders. Every episode, we talk to an inspiring guest who is running a high-performance team or a company to learn about their journey and what they do in their day-to-day to be an effective leader. So no matter if you're leading a team already or simply interested in becoming more effective at work, you can build your leadership skills by investing as little as two minutes a day with our AI leadership coach. If you're curious, download it for free on the Apple App Store today by simply searching Bunch Leadership Coach. Your journey starts with a quick assessment of what kind of leader you are today, and then you will receive personalized daily leadership tips to help you grow faster into the leader you want to become tomorrow. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. I have the amazing Chris Shembra here. How are you doing, Chris? Oh, man, I'm just so excited to be with you. I As I look back on what the world went through in 2020 uh, through a a global pandemic, I think about the people that were really there for their community in meaningful ways and the work that y'all have been doing and uh, getting to know you through the community that y'all have built. It it was a really inspiring thing for me going through my own dark times. So really an honor to be with you here today. Well, Chris, that's um, likewise and back at you. It's been amazing. And for those that are listening, we've done a couple things with Chris over the past couple um, years, actually. You were a part of our very, very first, you know, alpha like launch of the app, which was amazing. That's where I first saw you. And then you've also done some some more private things with the team. We've been we've seen Chris really sort of in the thick of it doing what he does best. So let's unpack it all. I mean, I'd love to kick off with a intro on you. You're called the Gratitude Guru. You have sparked over 500,000 relationships. You can find that on your website, not just in, not with individuals, but in teams, with companies, and you know, I guess with humans in general. Let's just start from the very beginning. I've heard the story before, but for our audience, how did you get into doing what you do now? What's your story? Yeah, great question. You know, gratitude came to me. Uh, gratitude always comes to me, I should say, during some of my darkest hours. And one of the things that we'll talk about through this podcast later on is that gratitude isn't best practice during the good times. It's best practice during the hard times. And uh, gratitude came to me in July of 2015. That's when my gratitude journey began. If you look at my life, if you looked at my life then, you know, it didn't look half bad. I mean, I know a lot of the people that are watching or listening to this, you're probably a a founder, a CEO, a first-time manager, a director of a big team, your life looks probably pretty good on paper, as mine did so many years ago. And I was living my life. I was traveling around the world producing Broadway plays. I was having a good old time. But one day I woke up and realized just because a life looks good on paper doesn't mean it feels good in the heart. And I realized that after coming back from producing a Broadway play in Italy in July of 2015. And Italy had kind of woke me up, woke me up to the good things in life, human connection and art and history and language and culture and food and wine and all these beautiful La Dolce Vita things. 
And when I got back to America, I said, God, this stuff that I'm doing here just ain't cutting it. You know, I was mindlessly scrolling on social media. I was doing work that I wasn't passionate about. I was unfulfilled. I was disconnected. I was completely isolated, working too many long hours, and I was sapped of joy. And I thought, what was it about Italy that changed my perspective on all these things? What was it about Italy that really woke me up? And it sounds laughingly simple to say, but I thought back to my time in Italy and and said, you know, it's how we ate food in Italy. You know, it's how we ate food amongst community. It was intoxicating. It was filled with tremendous, tremendous comfort. And so I said, I got to recreate that magic back here in New York City to get out of this general malaise I was feeling. And I started hosting dinner parties. You know, I, I invented a pasta sauce recipe that I, I thought was pretty good. And I figured I should probably feed it to people to see if it was really good. And I started hosting dinner parties. And these people would come and gather in my home and we'd cook together and we'd drink great wine. And at every dinner, I would pause in the middle of dinner and I would ask a series of questions. And these questions always centered around gratitude. Not the simple form of gratitude, like what are you grateful for, but the really meaningful types of gratitude, like who have you never thought to thank? And we'd go around the dinner table and we'd share some amazing stories and everybody would cry. And that was my introduction to gratitude. Why did I ask those original gratitude questions? I have no clue. But once I realized the transformative power that gratitude could have in small group settings, bringing people together, creating meaningful moments of human connection. I decided that's what I would dedicate the rest of my life to. So it was a humble beginning around the dinner table, but it's built an entire eight-year journey ever since. Amazing, amazing story. And every time I do hear it, I um, am amazed at how, I guess how, I don't know, how humble it is and how just a... Um, and why were you, you were in Italy for work, right? So you just sort of went there for work and then... Yeah, I was in Italy producing a Broadway play. It was a one-man show about Fiorello LaGuardia, who uh, LaGuardia Airport was named after. He was a three-term mayor of New York City. He was a seven-term congressman before he was mayor. He did a lot of really... He was this five-foot-two little fat guy that had seven secretaries and spoke eight languages. He was a little firebug. And he went around poking holes and everything. And so we would travel around the world with that one little play, using it as a speaker stand to try to you know, motivate people, inspire people, and relate a lot of what was going on in our country today with a lot of what was going on in Fiorello LaGuardia's country back in the 1930s and 40s. You know, History has a way of repeating itself, and we'd be fools to ignore it. And how did you get into theater and plays in the first place now that's a whole nother story has and has that informed anything has that informed the work that you do with 747 and the gratitude work that you do today absolutely great question you know to answer the question of how did i get involved in theater in the first place i need to tell another story and sorry for everybody who's listening i'm a storyteller and i just can't help it you know my start in theater I was always a very outspoken, theatrical kind of fellow, even as a young kid. But I really got my start in theater when I moved up to New York City. I moved up to New York City 
on my 24th birthday. It was Thursday, August 31st, 2011. Now, prior to moving to New York City, I had spent the previous couple years building a video production company. I was running commercial. I was a commercial boat captain. I was a kayak tour guide. I was living down on glaciers in Patagonia. I didn't really have a linear type of life. And when I moved to New York City, I moved here with no job, no college degree, one suitcase. I was living on my buddy's couch in Brooklyn. I had $8,000 of hard-earned money in my pocket. And I had a criminal record with uh, non-suicidal self-injury and depression and rehab on the resume. So I wasn't really a perfect, you know, hireable man. But when I got here to New York City, I remember, and I just found it in my email inbox, I remember I would call up all these fishing boat captains and boat tour operators in New York Harbor that would take tourists around on fishing vessels and whatnot. And I would call them up and I'd say, hey, is this Captain Pete? Hey, how you doing, Pete? This is Chris Shembra. And I've been doing videos for fishing boat captains to help them make more money and show off their business. Can I come do a video for your fishing boat? Well, needless to say, nobody said yes for a whole month. And one day I called up my dad and I said, dad, I think I want to be an actor. Well, my dad didn't know what to do with that. He knew nothing about acting. But he said, you know, Chris, I got this friend. His name is Tony, Tony Lobianco. He's an old actor from the 1970s and 80s. I think he's retired. He's just hanging out on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I think he's like 74 years old. You want his number? I met him at at an event once. He might sit down with you and talk about the business. And so I called up this Tony Lobianco fella, and he said, why don't you come over for lunch one day, and we'll talk about acting. I said, all right, sounds good. I go up to his home on uh, September 30th, about a month after I moved to New York City, and big home, you know, big apartment overlooking Central Park West. There's this 74-year-old man who's just kind of retired kicking it, going out to charity galas every night, dating young women, having a good time. And here comes this 24-year-old kid with a bunch of questions on a yellow notepad piece of paper about acting. Well, push comes to shove. We don't talk about acting at all. We just talk about life. I ask him a bunch of questions. He asked me a bunch of questions. He says, what are you doing for money? I said, I don't know. I'm going to keep calling people and hopefully get a job somewhere. He said, why don't you come hang out next week? I got a couple things you could do with me around the house and I'll pay you a couple bucks. I said, whoa, yeah. Hang out with an old Hollywood actor. This sounds great. And I kept doing odd jobs for him every day of the week, a couple months on end. I'd drive him around to charity galas. I'd drive him around to meet with fancy people. I'd clean out his, his script closet. I'd organize his phone contacts. And one day I picked up a script. And it was a script. It was a one-man play about Fiorello LaGuardia. That same play that I had been doing in Italy five years later. And I took that script and I brought it home and I read it. 
And I liked that script about Fiorella LaGuardia so much that when I eventually started taking acting classes, I used part of that script as my acting monologue. And I worked on that monologue with my acting coach, and I worked on that monologue with my acting coach. And one day, I brought it back into Tony's, and I said, Tony, let me show you my acting monologue that I took from your script that you used to do about Fiorello LaGuardia. And I did this whole monologue for like five minutes. And at the very end of it, he said, God, that was horrible. I said, what? He said, yeah, you're a really bad actor. He said, let me show you how it's done. And he walked into his bedroom and he came back out 30 minutes and he was wearing a fat suit. And he had on this suit, this brown suit, and he had some makeup on and he scrunched up his neck and he took the same monologue I just delivered and he turned into Fiorello LaGuardia on the spot and he delivered this great performance. And I'm sitting there crying, watching acting at its finest. I said, holy shit, that was pretty good. I said, we should do this play. He said, good. I'll act in it. You produce it. And that's how I got my start in theater. Wow. Wow. Crazy story. Crazy story. I hadn't heard that one in that much detail. That is a crazy story. No. Yeah. So then we diversified our portfolio and we got invested in really big shows and we got to travel all over the world doing all these kind of productions. And that was my history in the theater. And that's what brought you to, I guess, the story you told before and and the gratitude work you do today. So one last question on that. I mean, 747, why is it named that way? And for those that don't know, it's obviously Chris Schember's uh, organization. And what is the mission behind the company? Yeah, you know, the mission is simple. Help people connect in really meaningful ways and inspire a little bit of a positive mental attitude. So our company has evolved tremendously since those humble beginnings around the dinner table seven, almost eight years ago. And now it's a good company. Essentially, we work in the corporate wellness space. We go into companies helping their people connect in really meaningful ways. So we'll build out these big year-long programs, producing a ton of experiences, helping their people internally connect, right? We got a lot of overwhelmed, disconnected, unfulfilled, insecure, lonely, anxious, very cautious people within the workplace. Loneliness within the workplace is very high. Burnout, stress, anxiety, overwhelm, these are very detrimental things to companies. So we go in and work on that. We produce these experiences helping address loneliness and burnout and anxiety, all by helping them maintain an attitude of gratitude. So whether it's uh, Google, Microsoft, IBM, Dell, all the way down to law firms and you know doctor's offices, whatever, we've worked with them all, hundreds and hundreds of great companies. But to answer your question, why 747? Well, at that very first dinner, Arrivals were at 6.30 p.m. sharp. You had to bring your own bottle of wine. That was the cost of entry. Wanted dinner served at 8 p.m. But at 7.47 p.m., we put the pasta in the pot and we delegated 11 specific tasks, empowering the attendees to work together to create the meal. And we saw that these shared group experience, serving each other, 
really lowered the ego, created a posture of otherness, a little bit of humility, and really set the scene for the human connection that would come during dinner, during the gratitude conversation, all that meaningful stuff. I mean, at that very first dinner, all these people are crying and we're sharing these amazing stories of gratitude. And uh, so we built a little thing. And so in honor of that one moment that inspired everything, that 747. Nice. Beautiful. And what have you found after eight years of doing this? What have you found most surprising in your work out there? Uh, that people need this work a lot more than they're willing to admit. You know, people within companies are programmed to stay strong, don't show any emotion, just get the job done, hustle hard. And along the way, if you do all those things, you develop emotional impotence. They think they're being a really good leader by being hardcore and bossing people around and just having their ideas be the ones that are heard. But that's not leadership. That's like narcissism. And it's been so neat to see people open up to the ideas that being curious and listening with empathy and asking good questions and leading with gratitude and sharing a vulnerable story with your team actually empowers them to be the best that they can be, which leads to greater productivity, greater growth, increase in innovation and collaboration and really decreases a lot of the bad stuff, burnout, stress, anxiety, turnover. You know, it really fills people's souls. And so what we've been able to see over the course of the, the last eight years is just helping people come into the present, acknowledge that they're not doing so well, practice an action of gratitude in group setting, and leave feeling grateful, connected, happy, joy, inspired, wiser, lighter. They leave giving these testimonials of saying, wow, I didn't know how much I needed just a good, meaningful moment of pause and connection and reflection. And they get to breathe these deep sighs of relief. And you can see their life completely transform in the moment with this positive psychology micro-intervention. And I just didn't know how much people actually needed this work until I saw the transformation that gratitude can have. Yeah. And that was actually going to be my follow-up question, but you've answered it really. What is gratitude? What are the benefits? What role does it play? I mean, you've kind of, you know, you've mentioned, you called it one thing there, which was sort of an action of gratitude. What is an action of gratitude? What are some examples and what can people, like if I wanted to take an action of gratitude today or tomorrow at work, like how would I start to even create the space for myself and what would I do? Yeah. Great question. Nine great questions in that question. <laughs> what I'll first answer is what is gratitude? Gratitude is the acknowledgement that you've received something of benefit or something of value from others. Gratitude is has been thought of as a self-reflective practice, one that you can do alone in a journal by yourself, and that is awesome. But the gratitude that we focus in on is the gratitude that happens in a pro-social way. Mm -hmm. Gratitude that can be practiced in relation to others. 
And why that is, is that in a community setting or in a pro-social way, gratitude feels good to give, it feels good to receive, and it feels good for third-party people to observe. And so that's the type of gratitude that we promote. We always say that to be grateful is to be grateful to someone. You know, yes, it's all right to say I'm grateful for the sky, I'm grateful for my health, I'm grateful for this food, but we believe it's more impactful to say in a very specific way, I'm grateful to this person or that person, and this is the measurable impact that they've had in my life. And so that's the gratitude that we practice. You know, a lot of things stand in our way of practicing gratitude. And that is the concept of ingratitude. Ingratitude, the brain can work in really two ways. It can either be programmed to see the good in things, or it can be programmed to see the bad in things, right? If you're listening to this podcast and you're leading a great team and you got tons of cash in the bank, you got tons of equity in a fast growing company, your life probably looks great on paper. Well, you can either appreciate the good that you have in your life or you could dwell on the negative. And you may only have like 98 good things and only two bad things, but you may be programmed to dwell on those two negative things and have that sabotage your entire life. That is ingratitude. Ingratitude shows up through the emotions of fear, competition, anxiety, hyper-competitiveness, hyper-achievement, dissatisfaction, etc. You can achieve great things by being driven by all those things, right? Fear may drive your success. Regret or guilt or shame from your past may drive your success. You can find success through ingratitude, but it might ruin you in the process. On the other hand, gratitude is inspired by things like curiosity and empathy and connection and creativity and innovation. And you can achieve greater amounts of success by operating through that lens. Now, here's the messed up thing about gratitude and ingratitude. You could have the best things going on in your life and appreciate none of it. And I'm a classic example. In December of 2021, if you looked at my life, you would have seen a pretty awesome freaking dude. I was running a great company. I just bought a really cool home. I was living with a cool partner. I had a lot of cool friends. The industry had said nice things about me. Cash in the bank. Everything you'd want in life, right? Well, Thursday, December 31st, 2021, I did a really bad thing to myself. I engaged in what's known as an episode of non-suicidal self-injury. I took out a kitchen knife, inflicted bodily harm, and almost didn't make it out alive. I had everything good going on in life, but I appreciated none of it. I was one of the many victims of ingratitude, and it almost, almost cost me my life. And so the question is, how do we find gratitude when times are tough? How do we find gratitude when times are good? Because the lack of gratitude, ingratitude, can happen to any of us. The ancient Roman Stoics said that ingratitude was one of the most common vices they saw 
in that society. The ancient Stoics said that all the homicides, thievery, tyrants, adulterers, all stemmed from ingratitude. They said that there was nothing worse in society than the ungrateful man. And so the question is whether or not we realize that we are plagued by ingratitude, we have the opportunity to take some actions of gratitude to get through it. In the world of positive psychology, which is a type of psychology which maximizes positive emotions and minimizes negative emotions that was invented out of the University of Pennsylvania from Marty Seligman, he's the founder of positive psychology, it finds that after positive psychology micro-intervention, nothing has a greater lasting impact or longer-term impact than a gratitude micro-intervention. Of all the different micro-interventions they studied, like an empathy visit, like compassion exchange, a gratitude micro-intervention had the longest-lasting impact. And so to answer your question, Anthony, what type of gratitude actions can one do? Again, I'll split them up into two types of gratitude. It could be a self-reflective action or it could be a pro-social action. So to start with a self-reflective action, what I'd ask you that are watching this or listening to this right now is to pause for a moment with me and take a, a, a quick deep breath. And what I want you to do is to think to yourself, what are three things you're grateful for in your personal life right now? Are these things that people in your personal network have done for you? Are these people that you've only met once that held a door open for you? Are these people that have been in your life, your entire life? What are three things you're grateful for in your personal life right now? What does that feel like? What is the deep breath associated with that grateful feeling? Next, I want you to shift to three things that you're grateful for in your professional life. Think to yourself, is there a boss that took a liking to you, that invested in you? Is there a colleague who stepped into your place when you had to take care of family business? Are there people that you chat with every day that you've developed close personal relationships with? Feel how good it feels to be grateful for these individuals. And the final thing I want you to do is think of three things that you're grateful for within your own self, your body, your mind, your soul. Are you grateful for the way that you woke up and meditated today? Are you grateful for the way that you woke up and worked out today? Are you grateful that tonight you'll say no to drinking and say yes to a sunset walk with your partner? What three things are you grateful for within yourself? Those are actions of gratitude that you can take in a self-reflective way. In a pro-social way, you can ask yourself our signature gratitude question. If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, or that you've never thought to thank, who would that be? I mean, think about it. Who's one person you've never thought to thank? 
Are they from your childhood? Are they from your current day? Are they sitting next to you? Do they make you feel left out or lonely? Do they rise you up and buy you your first basketball? Who have you never thought to thank? And now what I'd like you to do is reach out to that person. Call them, text them, visit them, send them a gift, do some kind of act of service to them, and go out and express that gratitude. Maybe they've died and and passed away and you can't go back and give them that gratitude, pay it forward in their honor instead. Those are a couple actions that one can take just from sitting on this call. Amazing. Thank you so much for walking us through that. And I think um, they are things that we know how to do physically, but for some reason don't do at all or enough. But you know what? That is the case with many things in life. You know, studies have shown that the people, there's a perceived awkwardness that comes with gratitude. So most people overestimate how awkward it will feel to give gratitude but underestimate how good it will feel for the recipient to receive that gratitude. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a massive disconnect. There's also what's called the curse of knowledge. We walk around the world assuming people know what we're thinking or what we know. We assume people know that we are grateful for them, but you can never give too much gratitude. You know, for all the managers, founders, CEOs, directors on this call, it's Q4. I think this episode is coming out in Q4. It's Q4. I'd like to invite you to do a a gratitude practice with your team to close out the year. I want you to ask them two questions. Well, really, you can ask them three questions. If you schedule an hour on your team's calendar, you could ask them our signature gratitude question. If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? Just to set the scene, it'd be great. The second question I want you to ask them is, what are you grateful for now? Or who are you grateful for now that you weren't grateful for at the beginning of the year? Right? So it helps them reflect on their gratitude throughout the course of the year. What's happened? What have they built? What have they done positive that they can be grateful for now that they weren't 12 months ago? And the third question I'd like them to answer or ask their team is, what do you want to be grateful for next year that isn't in your life right now? So this is shifting the lens to the future. This is shifting the lens to think about, wow, what do I need to bring into my life or what do I need to appreciate more of next year that isn't in my life right now? This could be a new job. This could be a new product launch. This could be a new teammate. This could be something in their personal life, whatever it may be. And so as a leader, think about those three things yourself to give your team examples and then ask them these questions. Being grateful isn't just about you being grateful to someone. It's also about creating the questions and safe space to allow your team to practice gratitude together. Uh, to practice gratitude in small group format through an experience. And if y'all can do that to close out this year, you can really find a lot of things that you can hold them accountable for for next year that really jazz them up. You know, if you've got someone on their team that says, 
you know, one thing that I'm grateful for right now that I wasn't, that wasn't in my life at the beginning of the year is the one week off per quarter that I get to spend with my son in the mountains. And then if you ask them, what's one thing that you want to be grateful for next year that isn't in your life today? They might say, I want to be grateful for my daily meditation practice by this date next year. And then you hold them accountable to have a daily meditation practice every day next year. If you can empower your team to do that, have a daily meditation practice that they could be grateful for, your entire business unit will change, guaranteed. Awesome. Yeah. And for those that are listening, I think we did that a very similar exercise, if not that one, last year with Chris, exactly at this point in time. And I can personally attest to the fact that it does, as you said, it does almost reach that delight layer of work where it's sort of like, what are the things that really drive me to be doing this, what I do today in this role with this company, or even just the work in general, it gets at that layer, right? It gets at the, what are the things I'm truly, truly, truly grateful for, or I really cherish. And it's always good for any manager or leader out there, at least I would personally think, to, to be in tune with that in their team, right? Those last two questions about what are you grateful for right now that you weren't a year ago, and what do you want to be grateful for next year that you're not right now, were invented by my dear friend, Johanna Schnuka who is from Freiburg and she met her husband in Cologne and they just moved here to Brooklyn a couple months ago. And now she goes around helping German companies invent questions like these through great seminars. So definitely if you're German and you're listening to this podcast, Johanna deserves all the credit and, and she's a German leader, great journalist, reach out to her. You know, for sure. Don't reach out to me, but reach out to her for all these great more questions. Cool. Amazing. Well, a couple more questions for you then, Chris, and then we're sort of approaching the wrap up. I mean, in the on the same vein, you know, you worked with us. Any other amazing stories or anecdotes that you're willing to share around teams, individuals, companies that have done this work and just really come out really amazing on the other side? Sort of any standout examples? Um, yeah, oh, man. Oh, there's just so many. That was the douchiest thing that I could say right there. But <laughs> that's always the segue. That's always the segue. You know what? Here's um, we write about this example in one of our books. But I always love telling this story. You know, our work at 747. I may have just spent the entire podcast talking about how we produce these great experiences to help teams come together. But where we got our start was actually producing experiences, helping clients come together. And I remember one day we were, I got a phone call from my buddy, Patrick. He had this company, they had raised, I think $180 million earlier in the year. And he called me up and he said, we're sponsoring a big industry conference in London in February of 2019. Why don't you meet us over in London and let's put on a whole week's worth of dinners. Let's do dinners for our clients. Let's do dinners for our referral partners, our investors, some of our friends, our team that's in London, et cetera, et cetera. And we rented this houseboat on the River Thames that was built in 1904 as a British tax and customs house. It was called the Harpy Houseboat. It's right underneath the Tower Bridge. It's right beside the mud flat that's from Oliver Twist, 
and it's just you know a couple kilometers down the road from Borough Market. It's really a beautiful, beautiful scenario. And we took over this houseboat. We're doing all these dinners, and one night, I see this guy walking in to one of the dinner parties. It's uh, we're bringing together a bunch of about twenty of Patrick's clients, customers that night. And I see this guy, and I knew that that guy did not want to be at that dinner party. But he comes anyways because boss made him or something. And he's all grumpy and humphy. And I'm like, oh, God, this, this guy's going to be tough to get to, you know, because my goal is to get them to cry and really connect in meaningful ways. This is going to be tough. But anyways, that guy sits down for dinner. We all work together to create the meal. We have some glasses of wine. When it comes around for the gratitude share as a table towards the end of the night, when it gets to him, this guy breaks down in tears, saying that he's never thought to thank his wife that he sees every day. And this guy is just laying it all out on the table in front of 18 other really amazing Londoners. And he had a breakthrough moment that night. And when you look at the group photo that night, he's raising his hand in jubilation. He's having a dang good time. And the next day, our client, my friend Patrick, he steps up on stage in London and gives the big keynote at this industry conference. And this guy, this curmudgeon guy from the previous night, he comes up to Patrick after Patrick's speech and he puts his arms around him. And he says, Patrick, you know, I was an enemy of renewing this deal with y'all, but now I consider you family. Count us in for the next four years. And the transformation arc of going from a completely dissatisfied, completely unengaged, did not want to be their customer to I am now family, count us back in, what referrals can I send your way, multi-year-long deal, reselling, you know, upselling. It was huge. That's a multi-million dollar account, right? All from one dinner party. And that's the power of gratitude. It unites people in the most magical ways humanly possible, brings out these great vulnerabilities, and connects people in ways that will last a lifetime. You know, Maya Angelou, the great poet, activist, Nobel laureate, author, once said, people won't remember what you did. People won't remember what you said, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Gratitude helps people feel a certain type of way in a group setting that I've never seen before. And that's what we dedicate our entire life to. That's the transformative power of gratitude, which is the most transformative you know, power in the universe. That's what Cicero said. Very, very cool. Well, uh, maybe last question on the topic of how to, how to do this gratitude well, this thing well. When it comes to authenticity, because I was thinking about that story you just shared, Chris, and I'm like, you know, this guy came in maybe a bit defensive, but left completely transformed. And my brain's going, okay, what happened that led him up to the moment that he felt safe enough to share what he shared? And then obviously, I think you need to feel safe, which then sort of comes from authenticity. And I know a lot of thing, a lot of people out there, particularly managers that are like, I want to do this, I believe in it, but how do I do it so that it doesn't feel forced? How do I do it so that it, that it feels like it's coming from 
me, even if I haven't been the most, you know, I haven't been bringing this around with me, it wasn't a part of my leadership style, what to do there so that it makes it come off as real, assuming it's real on the inside as well. What are your thoughts there? Absolutely. Psychological safety and trust is it's paramount when the goal is vulnerability. In order to cheat code our way to vulnerability, we always suggest that people, managers out there or leaders, create conversations or experiences that follow a three-act architecture. First act is to get your people to come into the present. Second act is to get them to dive into the past. Third act is to look ahead to the future, inspired, wiser, lighter. What do I mean by that? If you're in a conversation with your team, first you have to get them to come to the present. First, you just got to get your team stop being pulled in a million different directions by email, by Slack, turn off your digital notifications, just come to the present. Maybe ask them a simple in the present question. What's one word that honestly describes how you feel right now in the moment? Love that. And have them write that down in the group chat. Maybe put them into breakout groups and have them talk about that. Hey, Anthony, what's your one word? What's my one word? You'll find things in common. That's act one. Act two is ask them a question about gratitude from their past. What's one person in your life that you've never thought to thank that you don't share enough gratitude towards? And people will reach way back in their past and pull forth some amazing stories. That's act two. Act three is looking ahead to the future, inspired, wiser, lighter. What are we going to do with this energy? What are we going to do tomorrow to encapsulate this vulnerability and connection on our team and let them come up with the answers? You don't need to be the one that brings in all this content. You just got to be the one as a leader to create the safe space for them to create the content. Love that. Great hack. I wouldn't even call it a hack, but I love that. I think that language really resonates with folks because becoming vulnerable or these kinds of things, we have this meme internally where it's the office space movie. Have you ever seen office space? Yeah. And you know, the boss where he's like, oh, if you could have that on my desk, five TPS reports. Yeah. Yeah. If you could have if you could have them on my desk, that'd be great. We have this very kind of it encapsulates everything that we do. Feel free to steal it if it works for you and your work as well. But like if you could just build trust, that'd be great. The average person out there is like, how? Like, what do I do? And I think these are really good anchors for us, right? Like, first step, just get people in the present because I think that's where that's honestly, particularly in a virtual age, that's honestly one of the hardest parts. And I think good questions can do that. Also, maybe, you know, a couple other sort of, as you get used to things, a couple other techniques, but great advice. Um, and and uh, I know that's very valuable for a lot of people out there. Last question, Chris, last question of them all. There's a lot of people that are just starting their careers out there. Um, maybe they're just in it, but they're in a new role. Um, we always love to end with this question. Um, if you could go back in time, um, all the way to the beginning of your journey, really like the beginning, and you could give yourself one or two pieces of advice what would they be? Focus equals growth. There's an old Russian proverb uh, that says, uh, you can't chase two rabbits at the same time. They'll both get away. Focus equals growth. Um, and luckily, I was, I was told that uh, pretty much at day one of my entrepreneurial journey with this company, 747. Um, and, and the second piece of advice that I'd give myself is, um, ask more questions, 
the world needs a lot less thought leaders. The world needs a lot less speakers. The world needs a lot less uh, blah, blah, blahbers. The world needs more question askers and facilitators of safe space. And as a leader, a founder, a CEO, a first-time manager, a director of a big team, that is your role. Show up every day with a posture of otherness, a posture of humility, which isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. And ask really good questions. Be radically curious. Listen with empathy. Open up the heart for connection to those around you. And trust that elevating them in that way will help your team perform to the best of its ability. Awesome. I think there's no uh, no greater way to end this amazing episode than on that note, Chris. Well, thank you so much for the time, for all the advice, for the actionable steps we can all take and uh, for just sort of, you know, painting that very important sort of vision on uh, of what we can all be um, if we do this particular thing, this gratitude thing, um, better than we currently are. So I really appreciate it. And on behalf of the whole audience, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Teams at Work. Let us know what your thoughts are on today's episode. You can find us on Twitter at Daria Gutnick and at Anthony A. Rio. Or simply follow Bunch at Bunch underscore HQ. And don't forget, subscribe if you like the episode, because we always have interesting guests who join us and share valuable knowledge as well as actionable advice. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Please do get in touch. At the beginning of the show, we did mention that we're building an AI leadership coach that helps you level up as a leader in just two minutes a day. Check us out on the Apple App Store and simply search Bunch Leadership Coach to find it. Try it out and let us know what you think. And that's a wrap. We are your hosts, Daria Gutnick and Anthony Rio, and we're excited to speak with you all soon. Till next time.